Hey podcast listeners, my name is Father Aaron Damiani, and this is a special edition of the Emmanuel Anglican Church podcast. It's a recent teaching I gave to the engaged couples of our parish called, What is the Destination of Marriage? Every marriage relationship has a destination, but most of the time it's undefined. Uh, the trajectory is just, it's lacking vision. And so this teaching will help you identify where your relationship is headed and provide a more compelling vision that is drawn from the story of God, renewing all things. To get the most out of this teaching, I'd encourage you to pause this recording, get out a sheet of paper, and write down 10 things that you love about your spouse or fiancé or special other. Write down 10 qualities or characteristics or habits that you highly appreciate from them. And then grab a copy of the scriptures and come back to this recording and hit play. So what is the destination of marriage? Essentially, there's a choice that you have to make about where your, where your marriage is headed, what the destination is, what the purpose is. What is the land uh, to which you are traveling with your spouse? And I want to talk, first of all, about the first path, which is the path of like. It's the path of like. Feel free to, but not obligated to fill in the blanks. Um, so the path of like begins where we are at right now. It begins with appreciation. It's the things that attracted to you to your fiancé to begin with, to your spouse to begin with. Um, and when you experienced it in a, in a low commitment or no commitment zone... It made you want to actually like double down, like increase the commitment level because you wanted to increase your participation in these qualities with this person because well, think about the things on your list, the 10 things that you love about your spouse. Like, I want more of that. I want this regularly. I want this to be a part of my life. And you just really appreciate these things. I remember after my first date with Laura, I couldn't wait to email my family to like just gush about this girl that I had this date with. And a big part of the thing that I really appreciated about Laura actually is her sense of humor. I don't know if any, do any of you know Laura personally, but you'll know that she has this, you can't, you don't even see it coming, but she's hilarious. And she made me laugh and I really appreciated that. She, so she wasn't just laughing at my characters or my jokes. She was like responding to them, like throwing it back in my face. And it was amazing. It was, I appreciated it. I wanted more of it. So that's stage one. And then stage two, is, it takes an interesting turn. We move to expectation. Because once we're bought in and we've made some sacrifices to get more of the qualities that we love, well, I expect it. Like, I put the ring on your finger. Okay, we combined finances. Okay, we're starting to make sacrifices. Now, what happened to the really fun person that I married? Um, so, directly or indirectly, I kind of demand it. What I started to appreciate, I kind of demand it. And if I'm not getting it, I kind of manipulate or cajole to get more of it. To call back the things that I really love, the things that really refreshed me, excited me. Um, now we live in a fallen world okay and we're all sinners in this fallen world and so a lot of times we've got expectations that the things that 
brought us to this person and brought us to a point of love and joy and ecstasy is only going to get better. It's only going to get richer. It's only going to get deeper. It's only get, I mean, if I'm increasing my commitment level, your benefits should, get, should go up. But so oftentimes they don't go up, they go down because as we grow into adulthood and have children and take on responsibilities, it wears on us. And so we don't get what we want, we don't get what we expect. And then we move to the third stage, which is bitterness. <clears throat> Anger and resentment begin to, to flow out as we realize Maybe there was a bait and switch. Um, you're not the man I married. You're not the woman I married. And our spouse becomes like one of the utilities. It's like Comcast, okay, or ComEd. Like, there's no other, you know, that, that, it's the one that I'm stuck with, right? It's the one that, it's the one that I got. I don't, I, it, would be, it would be a huge thing for me to switch up, so I'm stuck with you. I'm frustrated at the level of service I'm getting, but nothing's going to change that. And so low-grade resentment uh, sets in. Um, John Gottman talks about the four horsemen of the, of the apocalypse for relationships. We won't go into, into great depth on what those are, but criticism, contempt, stonewalling, and defensiveness start to set in. And those are the four horsemen that a relationship is breaking down. And, and, will, and if continued, if you, don't, if you don't pay attention to the four horsemen of the apocalypse, um, then your relationship will snap and break. And either through divorce or through, hey, we don't have a marriage anymore. So oftentimes that's what happens once you get to the third stage here. Um, <clears throat> So regardless of stage, and this is back to your notes, regardless of stage, the destination on the path of like is the self. Whether you're happy or not, the destination is the self. The goal, the trajectory of your marriage, as far as you're concerned, is like, I want the benefits. I want the good stuff. Um, and... I'm getting it, so I'm happy. Or I didn't get it, so I'm not happy. But where your relationship is headed is, I just want to be fulfilled. I just want to be happy. That is the path of life. Yes, Leonidas. Could you please say again the four horsemen? Four horsemen of the apocalypse, horsemen. yes. Yeah. Um, so first, the first horseman is criticism, and that's where you are... Uh, it's different from critical feedback, like you could have done this differently. Criticism is who you are is deficient. You always, you never. That's criticism. I'm a judgmental. Judgmental. You're a bad person. Um, contempt is um, the curling up of one's lip at the, uh, at the lowliness of the other person. It's, it's scorn from deep within. Um, and almost mocking. Eye rolling. Eye rolling, yes, yes. Um, defensiveness uh, is a, a lack of capacity to take ownership for one's actions. Um, and then stonewalling is the worst. Stonewalling is the absolute kryptonite of any relationship. Because it's actually, it's actually better for a relationship to get negative feedback. It's, it's, it's 
awful for a relationship to get zero feedback. But that is the, that's the path to, it's a cruel, cruel thing to do. But anyway, that's the last one. John Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-A-N, if you want to read more about those. G-O-T-T-M-A-N. So, <clears throat> but the, the, the destination is the self. And friends, I think this is where American marriages are at. Because there, there's no vision. This is where American marriages are at. This is the cultural air that we breathe. It's the path of self as it relates to marriage. Um, so, um, that's the path of life. And it's, a, it's in some ways a default path for, for those of us who, whose souls are hungry to be fed and connected and loved. Um, so, the path, of, the path of like. Let's talk about the path of love. Let's talk about the path of love. And let me hand out to you uh, <clears throat> scripture readings from Genesis and Ephesians. Okay, so look with me at, um, where are the extras? Thank you, Josh. All right, so we're looking at Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Um, <clears throat> what is the problem that the Lord God identifies as he looks at an unmarried man. He's alone. So there's a problem that he's alone. And look at verses um, 19 and 20. What is he doing in his aloneness? What kind of, what kind of things is he engaged in? Yes. Maybe. Yes. He has this calling from God, um, this vocation, and he's alone in it. So he needs a partner. Um, uh, not simply an emotional partner, but a partner to bear the image of God with. Earlier in Genesis talks about he, he made, uh, he made, the Lord God made mankind in his image, male and female. And there's a sense in which, unless maleness and femaleness are able to interact in such a way that blesses the world, um, the image of God will not be born in the world. Um, and so the problem is the aloneness of the man. Um, the Lord wants to call this alone man further up and further in. Yes, this man has needs, but ultimately, um, it is not about the meeting of the needs of this man that is the problem. He needs, he needs a vocational partner, right? Um, he needs a partner for vocation and for labor. He needs a partner for worship, right? 
he he is uh, uh, he, it's not that he's lonely and of course I'm sure he was but loneliness um, is not the identified reason it's not the identified problem that the Lord God identifies and then says alright now it's time to move you into marriage the image of God must be born in the world through a marriage between male and female in such a way that brings life and healing um, and order to, to the cosmos. Um, so if you go back to your sheets there, it says uh, problem. So the path of love, what the problem is, um, the aloneness, the solitude in worship and mission. Um, and the Lord identifies this, that Adam has a vocation that is going to involve marriage. Now, the teaching of the church is such that some people are called to this profound union in their singleness. And there's a sense in which they are called to be, to be joined and married to Christ um, and, um, and, and live a vocation of celibacy. But there's still unity, there's still union, there's still a bond that they're called to because our souls are not supposed to live in isolation. Um, and if you're called to marriage, you're called to that same bond with Jesus through a human relationship. Um, so what is the solution? Um, verses 21 um, through 25 describe the solution. The solution, as Genesis presents it in the light of biblical narrative, is death and resurrection. Death and resurrection is the solution to the great problem of aloneness. Um, I want to ask you, do you see death and resurrection in verses 21 through 25? Take a look at it and look for clues. Look for death and resurrection clues in these verses. And as you see clues, just call them out. Yes. Yes. Absolutely, Sarah. That's, that's exactly right. Where, like, Adam really kind of imitates, or the Lord God puts death into his, into his life by putting him to sleep. And then he wakes up and he sees that there's new life. Great. Other, other, other insights. Where do you see death and resurrection? Well, Adam has a perfect body, mm. and it's marred. Mm. Yes. So he'll have a scar. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Something is taken from Adam's side, and it's personal, and it's like precious. And in many ways, it's kind of it's his, you know, like it's private, like. And God reaches all the way in and grabs the rib and takes it out, rips it out of his body. What else? What other signs of death and resurrection do you see? Yes, Leonidas. Maybe, you know, in this concept, as you said, I could see this way the verse 24. Yeah. As a death on yourself and a new life together. Yes. So become one flesh. I see through these yes. concepts. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. What happens to mother and father? 
and the bond you had with them. Like that gets, you know, in many ways, it, there's a death to that. Um, there's a leaving, there's this profound sense that like, I cannot bond the level I'm called to bond with my spouse unless I leave mother and father. And all that that entails. Um, so yeah, there's a death there in verse 24. What else? Any other signs of death and resurrection? There's kind of a um, fatality in the sense of like it fell upon him. Yes. It was taken from him. Yes. Not control. Yes. It's not something he necessarily asked for. Yes. It's unavoidable. Um, it's bigger than him. Yes. Those, that, those kind of passive verbs are somewhat, it's not that he got to choose, choose the terms. Right. Yes, exactly. I really, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. So, verse 21, do you see the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, um, and, then he t- and then God took one of his ribs. So, uh, 1 Peter 5 talks about the mighty hand of God that humbles people. And Peter, is te- it tells um, his readers, humble yourself under that mighty hand. Let it crush you. It's, and, and it's really hard to be crushed by the mighty hand of God, but there's a sense in which the mighty hand of God wants you to experience the fullness of Christ's glory. And so the mighty hand of God will call you, will actually press upon you, it will call you to death. And we'll feel it, you know? And, there, and we can see, the, uh, we can read about and observe this happening in Adam's life. God had a calling on his life to die. The mighty hand of God pushed him in the direction of death ever so gently, and then actually, like, caused death. As those who will live out the beautiful holy vocation of marriage, the mighty hand of God will call us to die in so many ways, in so many ways, to so much that we hold precious. Um, So yes, absolutely. Um, This is interesting too, and verse 25, the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Um, That, um, you know, there's a sense in which they are vulnerable with one another. Vulnerability is a type of death as well. Um, we have, we've had the, uh, the prerogative to not be constantly observed comprehensively by one person. We, we have had that freedom up till now. And we're losing that freedom. Adam lost the freedom, and yet there was no shame. There was a sense of no shame, even though he was unclothed as well as Eve. So it's not just about sex. It's comprehensive, and there's death and resurrection. I love the exclamation of verse 23. I love the resurrection here. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. There's an exclamation here. There's an ecstasy here um, that uh, that is only known on the other side of suffering and uh, sacrifice. So uh, the, the problem is the aloneness, the need for a partner. The solution is death and resurrection. Um, and uh, on the other side of death, there's joy and delight and discovery, being fully known and fully loved. This is the great irony, that um, unless we give ourselves over to, um, to, to the death that is involved in a covenant, we don't know the, the full satisfaction of love. 
that is only after we um, allow ourselves to be yoked to someone in such a way that like freedoms are given up, bodies are given up, time is given up, finances is given up, um, and in fact our own personal space is given up, our own right to protect ourselves is given up, is on the other side of that where there is a profound sense of I am deeply known, I am deeply loved. One of the hardest things um, uh, that we can ever face up to is hurting someone really deeply and then owning up to it and letting, and letting them like hold our heart in their hands, as it were. But unless you're ever in that situation, you never get to know what it's like to be fully and truly forgiven. Um, and when you are fully and truly forgiven and you know that based on no merit of your own, um, you have been loved, um, even in your brokenness. That is an experience of grace that the Lord will call all of you to. Um, so death and resurrection uh, happens. That is the solution to the problem of aloneness. Um, I want to call you back to that first paper I gave you. See the first paper I gave you? I'm sorry about all the papers. There's got to be a better way. Um, but look at um, the back side of 10 Things I Love About You. Look on the left. And I want to uh, ask you this question. See that question one? Okay, so what precious and intimate things may I be called to surrender what precious and intimate things may I be called to surrender as you think about marriage I want you to just take a moment to think about what the Lord might be calling you what the mighty hand of God might be calling you to to surrender to him for the sake of your marriage so just take some time and think about that. I'll give you some ideas as you, as you write, as you think. Um, so, uh, personal space. Um, the youth and vitality of your body as you think about having children. Um, free time. Uh, as you're writing, I'll tell a story that uh, when I was first, um, w- when I was engaged, I was living with two other guys, and one of the nightly rituals was we would watch Letterman and we would just talk about life. We would just talk about stuff. And, um, and uh, that was my wind-down opportunity. And we'd stay up as late as we wanted to. I remember one night, <clears throat> soon after getting married, watching a chick flick on a Friday night with Laura at home and going to bed at like 10 o'clock. And I was like, what is my life anymore? Um, and uh, I missed my guy time. Now, it's not to say that I can't have any guy time. But it's different. It's really different. Um, so think about what precious and intimate things may I be called to surrender. As you have ideas, write them down. One, oh, sorry, go ahead, Brooke. Um, One story that Tim Keller talks about in his book 
um, and his teaching on marriage is that um, there's, all these, there's all these things you don't even know you have to die to them until, you don't even know you have to leave them, as it were, um, until you're on the other end of marriage. And um, he tells a story of when their sons were young and in diapers, when they had their first child, um, uh, there was poopy diapers and someone had to deal with them. And um, he grew up in a house where the mother showed like love and, hey, I care about my husband by being the one changing the diaper. But his wife that he had married, Kathy, had the expectation, no, in my house, the husband is the one who shows love and care by changing the dirty diapers. So who's going to get poo on their, on their thumbs? Um, who's, go, who's going to like dive in? And, um, and he realized that he had this expectation that he had come from. She had this expectation that she had come from, and they were clashing. And until there was a death, um, they were actually kept from uh, a sense of intimacy and love and joy. And so they had to leave their father and mother as it relates to changing dirty diapers and cleave to, there's some third new thing that they had to enter into. But until there was a death, there couldn't be a resurrection. And we come up against this again and again, especially as God calls us to bear and raise and support new life. So it happens with children. It happens with church plants, too. So I have seen the Evans, the Radikis, the Sanghas, others that have said early on, like, we feel a calling. The mighty hand of God has called us to help plant the church and help lead this church. I've seen so much of death and resurrection, even as they've done that, even as they've given themselves over to this work. Um, and so the more life God calls us to bear and see and support, the more death he calls us to die. Um, and those two things, as we humble ourselves and give ourselves over to that, we see over the course of our life and the course of our marriage so much, uh, so much life. There is a destination to all of this, though. Um, so look at Ephesians 5 with me, and let's look at the destination. So um, look at... Um, uh, look with me at verse Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, and I want you to look at verses um, 26 and 27 and tell me what was the purpose of Christ loving the church and giving himself up for her. What was the purpose of his death? Intimacy, yes, and we're, we're, and and what's your communion with her, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So you have a sense in which the church, it, you have Jesus giving himself over in death, which makes possible for an intimate union with the church. What are some of the other purposes that you see in verses 26 and 27? To sanctify her, making her holy and without love. Yes, yes. 
So uh, Jesus is giving himself over, and he has in mind these things that need to be washed away. There's, there's, first of all, there's things to wash away, and secondly, there's this beauty that is on the other side of holiness. Um, there is, uh, there's a cleansing that happens. Something happens to her. So it's not just that he wins her. Something happens to her, right? Any other insights from verses 26 and 27? Yes. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Healing. Absolutely. So, so um, there's a sense in which when Jesus sought union with the church through his death, he had a vision for her that he gave himself up for. He had a vision for who she would be and he gave himself up for that purpose, for her holiness and her sanctification and the intimacy that would flow out of that. Um, One of the really helpful things that has to happen for us when we get closer to marriage and when we're in marriage is that our vision needs to be raised. Because if our vision is, I want to be... Completed. I want to feel good. I want to have the benefits of you close by and accessible. Um, then what's going to result from that is lots of complaining and lots of nagging and lots of why can't you just, we're back here. When our vision is our own comfort or our own, even our own companionship or even emotional intimacy, things that in themselves are good. But that's our vision for what God's calling us to. That's our destination complaining will come out of our heart. But if that vision, that ceiling gets raised, and if we actually can see further on the horizon for where our marriage is headed and where our spouse is headed, what comes out of us instead of complaining is prayer. Because we begin to pray for the image of Christ to be revealed in our spouse over the course of time. If you want to put under destination, so if the problem is aloneness, and the solution is death and resurrection, the destination, bearing the image of Christ. The destination is bearing the image of Christ. It is a quality of the soul uh, whereby from the inside out, your character has been formed into the image of Christ. And all the things that the scriptures speak of, when it speaks of our completion, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, um, faith, hope, love, um, and all the qualities of Jesus, when the image is complete, those things resonate from the inside out. We have joy and confidence in the Father just as Jesus had joy and confidence in the Father. 
We have a capacity to give of ourselves to the poor and the marginalized, even as Jesus had the capacity to give himself to the poor and the mar marginalized. Um, we, have a, uh, we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that is deep and abiding, just as Jesus did. Um, and so this is what we are praying for, for our spouse over the course of our time. Think of it. Think of going from the path of like, where you are, where you are, you keep pressing the same button to get diminishing results of satisfaction, to go into the path of love, where you're giving yourself over, not only in sacrificing the practical things, but even sacrificing yourself in prayer for your spouse, so that when you present them to Christ, you can say, look at the holiness. Look at the image of Christ, which has been brought out and revealed over the course of our years. So what I want to actually ask, uh, ask you to do, final exercise, is to look, uh, go back to um, the precious things that you have to give up, the other side of that. <clears throat> I'm going to write down a date. Fifty years from now. So the date, it's 2015 now, so 2065. Wow. Think about that. 2065. You know, wouldn't it be amazing, and it's not actually out of the question, for you to be married for another 50 years? I know your, your wedding seems a long way off. Think about this. 50 years with your spouse. How old will your spouse be in 50 years? Write it down. I know it seems like a long time from now. The time marches on. So now what I want you to do, and this is, this is maybe the hardest thing we do today, uh, and that is to um, think, uh, think of the moment where you will hand your spouse over to, to Jesus. When you cross the Jordan River with them, when you, when you hand them over and say, we now, we now enter into the, this marriage with you even, even more fully, but here's my spouse. I spent 50 years with them. And I pray for them. And, I, and, I, and the mighty hand of God has led us through death and resurrection. And our destination has been bearing the image of Christ together. And I want you to think about what qualities you see in your spouse having in 50 years. After you've spent year after year of praying with them and sacrificing with them and walking with them and moving around the world with them and Bearing children and eventually grandchildren, perhaps, if that's if the Lord blesses you with that. And all the things that you will go through, think about, I want you to think about and write down five qualities, uh, five Christ-like qualities, five ways in which your spouse, at the age of whatever, 
will bear um, when that transition is ready. So it could be one of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, endurance, faith. Um, It could be things that you remember about Jesus from stories that are recorded in the Gospels. Um, It could be something else, but think about five Christ-like qualities that you want to begin to commit yourself to praying for now and over the next 50 years.